Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Boris Johnson has a big decision to make. A week today, he'll have to announce whether we should still unlock on the 21st of June. The truth is... No one here knows. The data is confusing and it is preliminary. There really has been a lot of back and forth in government. Is it time to declare Freedom Day or could we be about to make another mistake? There are a lot of people in the country, because some of them are writing me rude emails, who really, really don't want to hear this. But the fact is that this is not over. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, should the June the 21st unlocking go ahead? Last week brought an unusual round of good news. Today was the UK's first day to record not a single death from COVID since the start of the pandemic 15 months ago. Offering a jab to up to 15,000 people, Twickenham played host to a huge walk-in operation. 50% of adults have been fully vaccinated against COVID by having two doses. But we also heard from scientists urging caution. But there will be a risk of another wave if we, we rely too much on vaccination. Later in this episode, we'll be talking to a panel of scientists to get their views on the decision facing the Prime Minister next week. But first... To talk us through the conversations that'll be going on in Downing Street at the moment, an old friend of the podcast is back. I'm Henry Zeffman, Chief Political Correspondent for The Times. Henry, I I should just explain to people listening, you are talking to us from the roof of Parliament at the moment, and it does sound a little bit like the parliamentary estate is crumbling around you. (laughs) Just assure us that it's all there. I mean, Parliament is crumbling, by the way. (laughs) That that, that is a a long-running problem. I mean, I have to tell you, I have no means of escape if it does crumble. (laughs) Welcome back. For a start, the last time we spoke to you, you were posted in Washington, D.C., covering the Trump era. Now you're back to cover Westminster. The big political question here at the moment is whether the 21st of June, the big unlocking, is going ahead. On the one hand, we've just had the first day in ages with zero deaths reported. On the other, there is now talk of a third wave about to hit. How did we get here? Well, there is a new variant of concern, which is called either the Indian variant or under the new 
term the Delta variant, which is responsible for more and more of the COVID cases. And we are now locked in what ministers are describing as effectively a race. It is a race between the vaccine rollout, which is going very well, and this variant, which is more transmissible than previous versions of the coronavirus. The question of who wins that race is basically going to give us the answer to whether those final restrictions in England will be lifted on June the 21st or whether that date will have to be postponed. And just set out some of the parameters for this race. For that June the 21st date, does everyone need to have had at least one dose or is it helpful if we've all had two? Yes, the vaccines work and they are effective. There are still very open questions about precisely how effective different levels of dosage of different vaccines are against the Indian or Delta variant. Of course, the government is desperate to get two doses into as many people's arms as quickly as possible. The UK does have a good amount of supply. And actually, as the variant became more and more concerning, they announced a new target, which is to do with those groups one to nine. So that is basically everyone who is clinically vulnerable in some way, but also aged mm. 50 and over. And they want everybody in those groups to have been offered their second dose by June the 21st. So the hope is that two doses by that date will be enough for that day indeed to be the unlocking. But it is still very much just a hope in government. And there are plenty of voices who think that that date will or indeed should be postponed. Henry, just talk us through June the 21st, the big opening up. What exactly was due to change on that date? And, you know, who, who does it affect the most? It affects different kinds of businesses in a big way. We're setting out on what I hope and believe is a one-way road to freedom. When Boris Johnson first unveiled this roadmap with four phases earlier this year, you know, the government was quite careful to say that the dates that they set for different stages with five weeks in between them, so May the 17th was the most recent one, that was phase three, they were careful to say those dates were no sooner than dates. Step four will begin no earlier than the 21st of June. With appropriate mitigations... The hope for June the 21st, phase four, is that basically all remaining restrictions will go. So at the moment, the rule of six applies to indoor areas. You can't book a table of eight in a restaurant unless that eight comprises just two households. There is also social distancing in force. Restaurants, mm. pubs, bars have fewer tables. Theatres, cinemas have to space people out. So there are all sorts of businesses who are desperate for that final set of restrictions to go. And of course, a big one is that people are still being advised to work from home where possible. Will that be lifted on June the 21st? Perhaps it might not be safe for the government to do so now. So these are all the questions which are going to June the 21st. Is that date now looking in jeopardy? You know, you're right, the government did always say it was the earliest date. There was always a sense that it would be led by data. The data now is quite confusing. You know, there, there are different arguments to be made looking at the data. What are you sensing in Westminster? <laughs> the truth is, no one here knows because, you know, they get continuing updates and this variant is still relatively new. I can see nothing uh, in the data at the moment that uh, means we can't go ahead with step four or the, the opening on June the 20, 21st. But we've got to be cautious because there's no question... If the data turns bad, would you delay the, the 21st of June openings? Well, we're absolutely open to doing that if that's what... It needs to happen. They are going to wait for more data. They want to know more before they decide what the risks are. 
you said that people in government, the people who will have to make the decision, really do have no idea yet. But we know that a week today, on the 14th, they're going to have to come up with a decision so that the country has time to prepare either way. I understand there are four tests in particular that they they will be looking at in order to work out whether we can unlock. Talk us through those. So the four tests, the vaccine rollout, is it going well? And I think we can say, yes, it is. It is going very well by global standards. Hospital admissions and deaths, that's another test. At the moment, they are ticking up in terms of the weekly averages, albeit from a very, very low base. And in fact, the day after the bank holiday Monday, zero deaths were announced for the first time since the start of the pandemic. However, we have seen so many times before throughout this pandemic that exponential growth, it starts with very low numbers and very low numbers can become very high numbers pretty quickly. And there are all sorts of questions too that still need to be answered about the extent to which that link between rising cases and rising hospitalizations and deaths has been broken. We know that the vaccines are chipping Mm. away at that link, but we don't know quite to what extent. And so that is something that the government is going to be watching very closely. Third test linked to that, infection rates. But then the fourth test is the key one. And that is whether there are variants of concern. And there is. The question of whether the reopening happens is really the question of how concerning this variant is. What's interesting is that unlike the second wave or every other stage of the pandemic, the science community seems to be completely split on whether the unlocking should go ahead. You've dubbed the scientists the hawks and the doves. Let's start with the doves. Tell me a bit about them, people who think we should be more cautious. What's their argument? There's really been a kind of misconception throughout the pandemic, understandable one, that politicians in all countries should just follow the science. There have been points where the scientific community has been almost united, but now is a point at which there are differing arguments being made about June the 21st. Doves broadly believe it is too soon to know how bad things could get. Therefore, we should overreact rather than underreact, as one professor on the Joint Committee of Vaccinations and Immunisations put it the other day. So their case is basically just push June the 21st back a matter of weeks. Their argument is one of precaution, that the harms of a hasty reopening could well outweigh the harms to business and morale and whatever else. And what about the Hawks? So the Hawks case is basically, let's trust in the vaccine. We always knew, by the way, and this is true, we always knew that cases would rise once the reopening got going, previous stages. And their view is trust in the vaccines to mean that that is not fatal. Late last week, we rang around a number of the key scientists advising on the pandemic. They sit across both sides of this debate, although most would probably resist the labels of hawk and dove. Hello. Hi, it's Adam. They include two members of the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation, the JCVI. Robert Reed. I'm a member of the JCVI. My name's Adam Finn. I'm also a member of the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation. Two members of the NERVTAG group. Oh, good morning. Which advises the government on emerging viruses. Hi, is that Dr Ravi Gupta? Hello. Hello, this is Manveen from The Times, a member of Independent Sage. Hello. Hi, Christina. It's James Shield at The Times. Hi. And last but not least, 
the professor who runs the COVID Symptom Study app. Yeah, my name's Tim Spector, Professor of Genetic Epidemiology at King's College London. So, a pretty comprehensive range of experts. What soon became clear is that their views on whether lockdown should end on the 21st of June were anything but clear-cut. Well, there you will see a range of views. All of those things are pretty uncertain right now. These are all tricky questions. We don't know. What they did agree on was the four main factors we should be focusing on. Number one, the idea that there could be a third wave of the virus over the summer and autumn. We started with a Cambridge professor and member of NerveTag whose warnings of third wave made headlines last week. Professor Ravi Gupta, he's on the cautious end of the spectrum. I believe that we will be seeing a significant rise in the number of daily infections. The definition of a wave is a little bit sort of debatable, but it is going to increase from where we are if we go ahead with the lockdown easing in the way that is planned. That's inevitable. So although we may not see large numbers of hospitalizations in the initial phases, I think that the virus will be circulating in unvaccinated individuals, as we've already seen, and that will lead to significant new numbers of infections. So there will be a wave, but the severity of the wave is unknown. The size and severity of that third wave will depend on just how transmissible the Indian or Delta variant is and how dominant it is across the country. We know that it definitely is more transmissible. That's Professor Christina Pargel, a member of Independent Sage. And although the exact number hasn't been pinned down yet, every technical report that Public Health England releases is pushing it upwards, not downwards. You know, a few weeks ago, Sage said 50% more transmissible was plausible. And there's nothing that's happened since that will push it down from that. On Thursday, a Public Health England report found the Indian variant is now dominant in the UK. It said the variant could be 50 to 60% more transmissible and twice as likely to lead to hospitalisation than the Kent strain. Anyone who's putting out the message that, you know, it's all over now is really misleading the public. Professor Adam Finn. We may be really close but we may not be. And somehow we've got to live with that uncertainty. I I think we've learned one thing during the course of this pandemic so far, and that is that it's better to be safe than sorry. What we're seeing at the moment, I think, is really a preview of what it means to live with COVID as an endemic infection. On the other end of the spectrum is Professor Robert Dingwall, also on the Nerve Tag Group. He spoke to Asma Mir on Times Radio. These waves will come, they will pass through, there will be high levels of mild infections in the community for periods of time. A handful of people may be seriously ill, even fewer may die. But that's Mm. what happens with respiratory viruses. And we've Mm. lived with 30-odd respiratory viruses for, you know, since forever. The second factor scientists point to are vaccines. How effective are they against the new variant? Last week, Public Health England said it now looked more likely that vaccines wouldn't be completely effective against the new strain. We asked the scientists just how worried we should be. 75% of adults had had one dose. That's Professor Ravi Gupta. So Mm. one dose confers against the variant from India something like 30 to 40% protection from infection. So there's still a one in two chance of actually getting infected and then potentially passing it on. So what the best scientific advice I have at this stage is that after one jab, it's not quite as effective. 
against the new Delta variant. But after both jabs, it is. So that's why it's so important that we drive through these uh, vaccinations and people come forward for their second jab. There are a lot of vulnerable people in the UK. I think the estimate I read recently was around two and a half million people uh, are fairly vulnerable. So they may not have mounted very good vaccine responses and they may get severe disease. Of course, we do have vaccination, but I personally believe that there'll be quite a lot of morbidity and mortality if the virus is allowed to essentially circulate freely. That's pretty much what they're saying in Chile right now. That's Professor Christina Pargel. So Chile's got over 50% of its population fully vaccinated and they're locking down from Monday and 95% of their ICU capacity is used for COVID because they, you know, they release a lot of restrictions and it's just spreading. Despite mounting the world's fastest per capita COVID-19 vaccination campaign, Chile is struggling to control the virus. Even though they have a little protection from vaccination, so, so we can see that it can still happen. Chile could be an example to the rest of the world of what to expect next. Now, ultimately, it would be so much worse if we didn't have vaccination, but, but if you do let cases get out of control, it can still get bad. At the moment, we haven't got a lot of data on the Delta variant because it's only a relatively recent occurrence. Professor Robert Reed, a member of the JCVI, is more sceptical. What we do know, however, is that the people who are presenting to hospital with disease are ones who have had either no vaccines or only one uh, of their doses. Factor number three. If there is a third wave... And if the new variant is much more transmissible, should we start vaccinating children? Could that be the key to unlocking on schedule? Well, there you will see a range of views. I think it's very unlikely that we will certainly, in the medium term, move to a position where we're vaccinating children. Because we're an open society, there will always be emergence of future variants. We've got the Delta at the moment, but the next will be Epsilon. And before you know it, we're at a, at a IOTA. Uh, and so we're working our way through the Greek alphabet, and this will go on and on and on. So then you have to ask yourself, well, what are you trying to achieve with a vaccine program? Are you trying to obliterate the presence of the virus? If you are, forget it. It's not going to happen. The best thing to do is to protect your population. Children generally do not have severe disease. Recent figures show the Delta strain has been spreading through schools amongst children. On Friday, the UK medical regulator approved the use of the Pfizer vaccine for 12 to 15-year-olds, finding it safe and effective. But whether children will actually receive their jabs is a question for the JCVI, the Vaccines Committee, which Adam Finn sits on. That is now happening in North America, and there's been an announcement, at least, of the intention to do it in Germany. I think the discussion in this country will hinge on just how much of the population does it turn out that you need to have immunised to get things under control. And the one thing that we need to avoid, above all else, when it comes to children, is further disruption to their education, whether that be school closures or outbreaks in schools that result in children being excluded for periods of time. So if that begins to rear its ugly head, then that becomes a very compelling reason, it seems to me, to start offering vaccine to at least older children. The fourth and most important factor is the balance of costs and benefits, the overall assessment of risk. 
This is ultimately one for the politicians to judge, and it's the hardest one to put numbers on. Ravi Gupta thinks the balance of risks currently favours delaying the unlocking. Well, I think it optimistically, most optimistically, I would say a month, a few more weeks would give us time to better understand the hospitalisation rates, how many people are getting more ill, and maybe go into an easing with a bit more um, confidence. I think we should delay until we've got at least 75% of adults with two doses. That's Christina Pargel again. And protection from two doses, so two weeks out from their second dose, which is kind of roughly what Israel did. And they're the only country really that used vaccination to get to pretty much no cases. So I think perhaps August, beginning of August, it could be. So you're talking about another six weeks, basically, I think. People are still scared. People are depressed. And putting the other view, Tim Spector, who runs the COVID symptom study app. People won't be going to see their doctor because we're still creating this climate of fear, which we forget that, you know, the people out on the streets going to the pubs and restaurants are those that aren't fearful. But there's many other people at home who are still in suffering a lot of mental stress and anguish. Many of them have been double vaccinated and, and getting mixed messages from the government. The psychology of the country is very dependent on, on this fixed deadline. I've always taken a much broader view of the impact of this infection than uh, many of my colleagues. Professor Robert Dingwall. And from a societal point of view, I think it's really important that we go ahead on the 21st of June. Everybody who is in the nine priority groups at the highest risk will have had both jabs. What we're going on with is really running into younger age groups who are intrinsically at much lower risk. The people who are going into hospital, it's not like January. These are not desperately ill people. They go in, they stay in hospital for three or four days and they go out again. I mean, many of the scientists who've been talking over the weekend haven't adjusted their expectations to understand that. There's one more factor that's worth considering in this debate, and that's where the scientists feel able to inform the public, honestly and openly, about the advice they're giving the government. By coming out and suggesting that we delay the unlocking on the 21st of June, you've come in for a lot of very personal abuse. What's that been like? Uh, interesting. I didn't know you, how you knew that, but uh, it's been interesting. Uh, I think it's all over social media. <laughs> Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's quite interesting. I mean, I kind of half ignore it, but um, you do start to question why you said something, and then it's very hard to sort of start lying. You know, sort of. You know, I've I have given interviews before where I've said everything's going to be fine, where I was in the back of my mind thinking, well, I'm not really, you're not really sure, are you? But I've come to a stage where now, with with the Delta variant that we've seen, I don't really think I could do that. So I think that whatever people have said in response is is up to them. Do you think it, does it stop scientists wanting to say anything about? COVID in particular, just because it does evoke such heightened feeling? I think it does. I mean, uh, uh, many people I know in Nerf Tag and Sage, you know, have the same opinions, but they haven't said it. Other colleagues of mine have come out and, and spoken about it. I think Adam Finn, for example. There are a lot of people in the country, because some of them are writing me rude emails, who really, really don't want to hear this. But the fact is that this is not over. Coming up, the political factors weighing on Boris Johnson ahead of that big decision. But first, a postcard from America. Hello, I'm Laura Pullman, New York correspondent for The Sunday Times. It's thanks to you I get to cover all things this unbridled city has to conjure up. Get to the heart of the stories that matter every day with The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today and enjoy one month free. 
visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If the scientists seem torn, so too is Westminster. Nationally, of course, the number of cases is going up. Of course there will be further rises, because that's the nature of the virus. The vaccine, we just need to see in the data exactly how effective that is being. I don't understand why suddenly there's a sort of concerted attempt by a group of scientists to stop the 21st. A number of Conservative backbench MPs have publicly called for the Prime Minister to stick to the 21st of June date for the Great Unlocking. I want life in a free society, free of all of these restrictions, something Matt Hancock promised me in the House of Commons. We do need to get away from this idea that government can protect everybody all the time from all kinds of disease or mischief. So what are the political pressures on Boris Johnson as he makes his decision? Well, there are a substantial number of Conservative MPs, albeit generally the the ones who've been making this sort of argument all the way through COVID, who are desperate for that June the 21st date to go ahead. They believe that the consequences for business of another delay would be dire. Of course, on the other side of that argument, including in the Conservative Party and very much including in government, you have people saying, well, hang on, didn't we learn with the earlier lockdowns that it can be worse for the economy in the medium and long term if you reopen too quickly, because you might then have such dire results that you end up back in a severe lockdown, which is worse. Well, joining us now, Laura Farris, the Conservative MP for Newbury. Welcome. Is that whatever we do must be irreversible. And I think the point has been well made that there were lessons to be learned from the Alpha variant, the Kent variant, and how that swept across the nation at the end of last year. And the government will be absolutely determined to avoid a repeat of that. So that is very much the debate going on in Westminster. I think the truth really is that, you know, look, Boris Johnson has a huge majority. There aren't going to be any parliamentary votes on this. So it's moved music and it will, of course, be in ministers' minds. But I I don't think they're going to be making their decisions with reference to what Sir John Redwood has said. But it is part of the broader climate in the Conservative Party, in the government, as they wrestle with these very difficult questions. What are the other options open to them if it's not full lifting on the 21st. Is there sort of like a halfway house? It's understood ministers are debating whether to keep face coverings mandatory after the 21st of June. Could we see a situation where we retain some restrictions, for instance, on the using use of masks and the advice to work from home, if at all possible, while leaving everything else open? Yes, I wouldn't rule that out. I mean, the, the way... This is something that people are increasingly talking about, is the idea that some restrictions could go and some restrictions could stay. So maybe... And this really is just, you know, 
thinking out loud, but it's the sort of thinking out loud that is happening in all these conversations in, in Whitehall and Westminster at the moment. Maybe the one metre plus social distancing requirement could go, mm. but work from home guidance would stay in force, mask wearing would stay in force, or perhaps some other combination. But certainly it is eminently possible that aspects of the reopening will proceed while aspects do not. And if the data just looks alarming, do we carry on as we are now? I think unless something takes a really drastic turn for the worse, and and maybe it will, but I don't think there's any serious consideration being given to returning to a more severe form of restrictions. But it is, of course, possible, as some of the dovish scientists are urging, that Boris Johnson says, I'm sorry, I need a few more weeks to make sure that this is the right thing to do. Do we know where the public is on this? As a general principle, throughout the pandemic, the polling evidence has suggested people are are willing to be told that a lockdown is necessary and, and willing to, if not embrace that, accept it. Polling suggests people back a cautious approach to reopening. A YouGov survey for The Times has found that there's a resistance to a further relaxation of the rules. I don't think it is the case that Boris Johnson will certainly meet some masked public rebellion if this reopening is postponed. And Henry, talk me through that process, the decision-making. We know that the Prime Minister is advised by you know, civil servants, his advisers, as well as a host of scientists in the SAGE committee. We've seen recently with Dominic Cummings and his epic seven-hour-long evidence session to the select committee. A lot of the reasons for why that happened are still in place now. Look at the whole debate about variants and whatnot. Like, we have to... This has to be honestly explained. If the government, if number 10 today won't tell the truth about the official plan which they briefed the media about and described on TV a year ago, what on earth else is going on in there now? A lot of those conversations can be and probably will be repeated at some point in the future. There will be books about this. There will be a a formal inquiry coming. How much do you think that is looming large in the minds of the people who are now making these decisions? It's a really good question. I, I can't know their minds, but I am sure it is it is there as a thought. Ultimately, that is the reality of making decisions in government during a pandemic. And, and you know, Boris Johnson is used to that now. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, The Times' chief political correspondent, Henry Zeffman. You can read all of Henry's reporting at thetimes.co.uk or in print. Our panel of scientists were Professors Ravi Gupta, Adam Finn, Christina Pargel, Robert Reed, and Tim Spector. And we also heard from Professor Robert Dingwall speaking to Times Radio. The producers were James Shield, Edward Drummond, Joe Shinchana, and Oliver Adamson. And sound design was by Tom Birchall. If you'd like to get in touch with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do drop us an email to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. And if you get a chance, please do leave us a review. It'll help new listeners to find us. See you tomorrow.